Good morning. Good morning. Good news for me, if thought occurred, you know, that um, following Jesus is a lot simpler than living in two places and beginning to affect the move. Uh, and that's good news um, in doing it this weekend. And really, my wife gets the credit. You know, we lived there, raised five kids in this house, so now she has to remove all evidence that anybody ever lived there. And so this week, as she's been, you know, reestablishing, like, no evidence that anybody lives there. And like I told you last week, no cleaning items because the house cleans itself. No tissues because nobody gets sick in this house. You know, we're selling the image, right? The life everybody wants. So she discovered, and she sent me a picture this week of a, a little bubble in the ceiling above the kitchen. Well, that bubble was because a copper pipe decided to give out on us who knows however long ago and pin one of those, you know, hairpin leaks, drip, 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 probably for weeks, maybe for months, I don't know. But it, we thought, well, the plumber came, he fixed the pipe, and they cut out the little section of ceiling. And then we got a friend who's a contractor, a dear friend, because, you know, you can't find a contractor these days. And Nick, he started digging up in that ceiling, and that, like he's cut out like a door-sized hole in this ceiling. The rest of the house looks great, but you come in, it looks like a plumbing disaster, you know, and all this stuff. So... Um, I'm just thankful this morning that following Jesus is simple. Um, and I'm thankful for this series, Love Revolution. What it, what it means really is love is the force of change in our world and life. And you know, the Pharisees pinned down that God had 613 commandments, which is, you know, pretty simple when you consider how amazing God is. But then Moses got it down to 10, which is pretty good reduction work. Uh, and then Jesus got it down to the two. He said, on this, all the law and the prophets hinge. It's more important than all the sacrifices, is what Jesus said, um, to love God <laughs> and love neighbor. And uh, the great theologian Augustine, really, I think he accurately summarized it. He said, basically, if you love God, you can do whatever you want. Think about that. <laughs> and we're going to look at Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 9, where God revealed just how simple it is, how good it is to follow him. And then I want to break it down to show God is the point of it all, what you do with your all, uh, and a couple tests for whether you've done it. So here's a read to the word of God. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you were crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Let's pray again. Oh God, we pray you would truly speak to us. You were the living God who sustains us with your breath, giving us breath. And we pray, Lord, you would speak into our lives, speak into our situation, speak into uh, 
the busyness of life or maybe a quiet emptiness in our lives. Lord, may we feel that you have met with us. We know you're eager to do so. Remove whatever obstruction we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So these two little boys, Jimmy and Tommy, and they were fighting, uh, and they chose to fight right outside uh, the vicar's Anglican church. He's the, the vicar, and he was a rather severe man, and they were scuffling and pulling each other. They ripped each other's shirt. They bent uh, each other's eyeglasses, threw them on the ground. And so the vicar comes out, and he grabs these two boys, grabs them by the T-shirts, and he begins to lecture them, and then to conclude his lecture... Uh, being a, a severe vicar in the Anglican church, he, he looked them in the eyes and he, he thought he would teach them how to relate all of this to God. And he said to, to Jimmy first, he said, Jimmy, where is God? <laughs> and Jimmy, terrified, broke loose and he said, run, Tommy, run. They've lost God, and they're trying to pin it on us. <laughs> I love that story because it's so easy to lose the narrative. And I think so many people can say that uh, about church. Uh, in fact, there, you know, we know always there are people sometimes who leave church because they find not Jesus untrue, but they just find him difficult or they find his commands too contrary to their desires and they check out. That's always been the case. But there is a large group of people, and there is evidence for this in many surveys, who have left church because they believe the church has left the narrative of God. Uh, I shared with uh, your wonderful staff and your wonderful group of elders, so encouraged by your leadership, you are blessed. This article by Eugene Peterson called, If I Am Taken Up, What Will Become of You? And it's not about him being taken up in this, you know, this idea of the Christian rapture. You know, <laughs> pastor disappears, no one else is saved. That isn't what he's saying. <laughs> he's saying, what if I get taken up in the God business? Because he says it's so possible to be selling all of what I call the byproducts of knowing Jesus. You know, knowing Jesus affects everything. It's wonderful. And so you become a better parent. You become better at work. You, you become better at your finances because those are all by... But here's the problem. We can detach the benefits from the benefactor. And, and so it's, it's, it's an occupational hazard, really, to a living church that is experiencing Jesus to all of a sudden lose the narrative, experience mission drift, and kind of like the drip, drip, drip from the copper pipe. All of a sudden, you don't realize it, but not the ceiling, but the foundation's gone. And, and Peterson was saying, if, he says, the purpose for a church is to be able to say the name of God over our lives, the purpose of a pastor, the purpose of your life too, not just pastors, is to be able to say the name of God accurately. We can't take all the weight and glory of who God is, but to say it both accurately and to say it personally to each other over our lives so that when we're in circumstances where it doesn't feel like we're close to God, we know he's God, and we're, we're moving together. That's why we're coming to church together, and, and, and it's why you're tuning in online. It's why you're in the parking lot, because you know that there's something that needs a gathering in whatever way we can muster to begin to make sense of this God who is so immense and awesome, and yet has revealed himself in Jesus, who has fully explained who he is to us.
And so the point of Deuteronomy 6 really is that God is the point of all of it. And may God deliver us from losing that mission. <laughs> uh, there was a uh, kind of before the Onion, the satirical ma the kind of news magazine called The Private Eye, and there was this this spoofing article that God, and it was in England, so I'm not picking on Anglicans today, by the way, but, but, it, but it said that God had released a press relief that he was about to leave the Church of England. And so they talked to the highest bishop, the archbishop, and said, what do you think that God is going to leave your church? And he said, well, you know, losing God is a bit of a blow. <laughs> Uh, we knew he was not happy once we left his mission plan and strategy, and once we left some of the uh, position papers that he had released, we decided to change those. But, but we'll have to muddle along because no one is indispensable. <laughs> but folks, it, it is possible that, you know, again, people, people are saying, look, I, I can learn how to be a, a better grace-filled parent from Brene Brown. Um, I can balance my checkbook in other places, but what I'm really thirsty for, the deer pants for the water brooks, as the deer pants for the water brooks, so longs my soul um, for you, oh God. That's the one thing. And if you lose the irreducible core, you've lost it all. And I just want to call us, again, to remember the point of it all is God. Sometimes I think what's happened is we may have worked so hard at making God accessible. And I, I believe in accessibility. I believe that accessibility, remember they took the roof off of a house to get a paralyzed man to Jesus because he couldn't get there on his own. We ought to make, uh, do everything we can to remove obstacles and, and so that the profoundness of God is accessible. But what we can't, should, should not and cannot do is to dilute the content of who God is. So I'm all for Christianity accessible. I'm just saying, I just wanted to raise some questions about Christianity light. We all know the light stuff is not as good as the real stuff, right? Uh, and if we've made God light, we've really missed the point. I like what James K. Smith wrote this great book called You Are What You Love. And he says this about worship. He says, worship needs to be characterized by a cross-cultural hospitality. You know what cross-cultural hospitality is? It's when you've traveled to another place because you, wanna, you know you're going to experience different. And in the best way of travel, you're hoping that there is some kind of mechanism or host there so that you can receive a cross-cultural experience, but in a hospitable way. And sometimes I think he was musing, sometimes I think what we've done is we said, okay, we're going to go to France, but guess what? I've arranged it's going to be all American food. In fact, everything is catered by Perkins and McDonald's. And we've got a translator. You won't even hear a word in French. And just to make you really careful, we've merely at home, we've, we've changed all the architecture. It looks like Philadelphia, not France, not like Paris. And you'd be like, well, you've taken everything away that makes me aware I'm in another place. And here's what, here's what he says. He says, sometimes I'm looking for the difference. I know this will take some work on my part to be in a different place, he says, I think with our, uh, with our over-hospitable worship, we sometimes forget that seekers are looking for something that the culture can't provide. 
many don't want a religious version of what they can already get at the mall. And this is especially true of postmodern or Gen X seekers. They're looking for elements of transcendence and challenge. Not the culturized version of the gospel. They're searching for the reality of the relevance of the God who's there. I think those words speak to my heart. They speak to your heart. We so need the God that David prays about in Psalm 63. Psalm 63, just one of my favorite psalms, where he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly, I'll seek you. My soul longs for you. My body longs for you in a dry and desert land where there is no water. And he goes on and he describes worship this way. He says, I have seen your power and your glory in the sanctuary. And because your love is better than life, your loving kindness is better than life, I lift up my hands in your name. It's like an involuntary, like, God, I've got to respond to you. It's uh, the, the lifting up of hands was like the taking off of the sandals to say, I'm experiencing something holy here. God can't be packaged all the way down so that we come into his presence without realizing we've come into someone who is, who is other. That's what holy means. Why, when Jesus came to Peter in Luke 5, Jesus said, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Jesus did that miracle of the fish, but it wasn't just the fish. It was like, he said to Jesus, not stop the fish stuff, but he was like, you. <laughs> oh. that, that is an experience of, of encounter. And when, when we know that, we carry that sense of God with us. I love the story in, in 1643 to 1648. Does anybody know here what was happening? This is like a Jeopardy quiz. The answer is, what is the Westminster Standards? <laughs> 16, what happened in 1643 to 1648? And here's what happened. A bunch of really Bible-saturated leaders got together in a little room and that hardly anybody knows about if you've ever been to Westminster Abbey. It's like this upper room. They don't even talk about it on the tour. I was so disappointed. <laughs> um, but they sat down. They wanted to create a question and answer guide to understanding Scripture. And that's all a catechism is. There's good ones and bad ones. This happens to be one that's really Bible-saturated. And they were stumbling and wrestling for five years. And, and these were leaders who would have, in humility, told you, they would have said, hey, I've only read... Uh, the New Testament five times and the Old Testament two times um, in the original languages. But in, oh yeah, in English, oh, dozens of times. <laughs> so they're stumbling in this upper room and they say, we want to teach the children and we want to teach adults what is God. So you can imagine, uh, so how would you do that in a sentence? What is God? Right? <laughs> they spent hours and hours they're talking they're wrestling they're you know and there was this one younger guy his name was george gillespie and uh, he didn't said very much all these scriptures flying around all these ideas well how can we tell people how can we tell children in all ages what god is and so they said you pray and he just stopped on the moment and he prayed and he says oh god you are spirit infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in your being, your wisdom, your power, your holiness, your justice, your goodness, your truth. And somebody said, write that down. 
And if you know that's, that's question four, that definition, it says God. Spirit, which means you're not limited with a body, but it says you are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. In those ways, you're not like us. God is infinite. He is infinite in all of those other ways that we are supposed to be. We're supposed to be just. We're supposed to be good. But God is infinitely good. God is um, it's unchangeably good. God is eternally good. He never had to learn to be good. <laughs> he, he, is, uh, he is infinitely just. He has always been just. He will always be just. His justice never changes. And he just came out with it. And I think, like, I want, I want the weight of God, the reality of God to come upon you, that, that when someone just says at a moment, you know, that we all ought to be prepared at a moment to be able to pray, um, to preach, or to die. At least a preacher ought to be ready to preach. You ought to be ready at any moment. And, and he was. I want, I want God to rest upon us in that way. I want, to, I want the bearing of God to be with me in that way. And that's what this command in Deuteronomy 6 means, if it means anything. Remember, because he says, at home, or and, and when you're in your house, or when you're out in transport to somewhere. I, he says, I'm, I'm not a private deity. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is not something for private. You know how people say, well, my relationship uh, is, you know, I, I would never want to impose my relationship with Jesus on someone else. It's a very private thing. I always question, well, is your relationship with Jesus deep enough that you even impose it upon yourself? I mean, something that is that private, that's, that's not the biblical means. It's certainly not to be obnoxious, not to be the, a person who never changes the subject when people have lost their ability to listen. That's not what it's talking about. But it's talking about someone who is so consistent that what comes out in the home about Jesus comes out in the public place. And it is, it is the weight of God upon our life. And it's just encountering God in the all. Finding him in all those places. And finding a sense of awe for God in all those places. The beauty of our God is that every reality is a shaft of his glory or light or presence that if we lay hold of it and experience right, we can trace it right back to him. And, and when you experience that, again, you don't have to be in a church. Again, sometimes church is so busy with the God products, we, we really have to pull aside to find a place to do that. Most of you know, last, last month, March, seems like months ago, but we were in Kenya with our daughter, and there's just a wondrous, you know, thousands and thousands of acres. I don't know, it's hundreds of miles from Kenya and Tanzania and it's just grasslands. And when we, we got there in the Land Rover, one of the things that impressed us was just the absolute beauty of the vastness of the grasslands and the quiet. Just no leaf blowers. Nothing. Just quiet. And when we'd get to a place in the Land Rover and just, you know, turn the en engine completely off, not even an idle, just sit there. And towers of giraffe, that's what they call groups of giraffe. I love that word. Towers of them would just come battling through. And then you wait a little longer, and elephant come through. And, and, you know, it just struck me at the moment that there were no farmers planting the grass. It was so gorgeous. There were no veterinarians checking in 
on the elephant that had given birth not long ago, and that little baby was holding on to mommy's tail with her trunk, moving around. And just and, and so words came to me that I didn't even know I knew that brought because I was sensing God in that moment. I was sensing God from Psalm 104, which says that God opens his hand and he sustains the life of every living creature. That God loans his breath and he gives breath to everything that lives. Do you love that vision of Psalm 104? It fills, it re-enchants our entire world with God. That everything that lives has breath because God is loaning it breath. That you and I have breath because God is loaning us breath. That our hearts beat until God puts his hand on our heart and says, last beat. What a beautiful vision of God and, and his care for all the intricacy of all of these animals. And, and this phrase came to me from something I had heard in childhood and sung, um, thy bountiful care what tongue can recite. It, it's words that became a, a hymn, but it's based on Psalm 104. Your bountiful care what tongue can recite. And the words just came and made it a God moment for me. It said, your bountiful care what tongues can recite. It breathes in the air. It shines in the night. It streams from the hills. It descends to the plain. And it sweetly distills in the dew and the rain. And when that came to me, I just said, oh. it was as worshipful a moment as I think I've had in 2022. <laughs> Maybe with the exception of Monday, Thursday over at NLPC when you all were just singing and you just, man, it was not your voices that I heard. <laughs> there was someone singing over us. Like, it's that God moment. And the, here's the thing. You don't have to be George Gillespie. You don't have to have read the Bible cover to cover. You, don't have, you just have to open up and pay attention to your surroundings. That's what Deuteronomy 6 is saying. He's saying, I, God's saying, not, he doesn't want us to shoehorn him into circumstances he's not fitting in. But he wants us just to open our eyes and realize he is there in his holy presence. So the point of it all is God. And that's why it's so appropriate that he says then, I want you to love me with your all. Love God with your all. That's, that's really the unifying theme. All your heart, all your soul, uh, all your strength. And Jesus in Mark 12 elaborated with all your mind and here's the thing he is the son of god he is god incarnate so he gets to change whatever's in deuteronomy 6 to tell us what god really means right but here's the thing when it's your all you could basically add every category of legitimate powers and abilities and compartments in your encased in you that make you you and just say love god with it and you would be okay you would be right right it's saying respond to God with, with your all. And so let's just take them apart a little bit, though, because they give us some insight. Sometimes when you see its totality to love God with everything, then what are we to love God with? He says, first, with your heart. Your heart, it's basically the CEO of your whole person, if you were a business. It's the seat of your mind, your will, your emotions. There's no division. It's the, the totality of who you are. Proverbs 4 says your heart is the wellspring of life. And it, everything else in your life is really downstream from your heart, downstream from your wellspring. And so it says, as a person thinks, so they are. That's your heart. As a person thinks in their heart, uh, so they are. It's your heart. And so Proverbs 4 says, guard your heart, for from 
overflow the well springs of life. Why do you guard a well? You don't guard a well because you don't want thirsty people to come take a drink or experience it. Because if you hit the right aquifer, right, there's plenty of water. So you aren't guarding the outflow of your heart so much. You know what you guard if you have a well? You guard the inflow. Because there's a nasty possum stumbling about in the dark above your well. And if that nasty possum falls into the well, then everything you drink from that well is going to be owed of dead possum. You know, boil potatoes in the water, mm, dead possum. Um, take a drink of it, dead possum. Uh, make uh, big yellow mug coffee from that well water, dead possum. <laughs> so it says guard your heart because, because things can fall into that. That will, that will intercept the purity. And that's, again, here's the glory. We return to God every day and he purifies, right? It says, purify your hearts, wash your hearts. It, what we're going to do in the Lord's Supper is a real washing where our hearts are kind of reset to the default settings that God had on them and maintained in a purity. We're, we're coming to recognize that. But he's saying, love God with, with what drives your life, the wellsprings of your life. That's your heart. And then secondly, he says, love God with your soul. Your, your soul means your life breath or your essential self. And you know what this is? This is what makes you and me the way that we are, our personalities. Part of the good news of the gospel is there's not one temperament that is more holy or perfect than another. God loves the variety that he's made. And you, are, every single person in here is unique. So as I'm just, I I'm, feel like every week I, every day really i'm encountering new treasures here and the uniqueness of the personalities that god has put here and um like how many of you like tea more than coffee a few right uh, how many of you like it, how many are roller coaster people and how many are ferris wheel how many like roller coasters give me the roller coaster how many ferris wheels and some of you are carousels, right? <laughs> you don't even want the Ferris wheel, right? Those are all personality things, you know? How many of you like classical music? Like Baroque, Bach, Handel, right? Yeah, it's so beautiful. It's passionate, too. How, how many love jazz? Somebody like, the, give me a band with a chord chart. Just let them go. It's different every time. Like jazz. How, how many like Bach? It's, it's so cool now. I, I've been a pastor long enough that I remember when I would, if I would ask this kind of thing, like nobody in their 70s would like rock it. Now all you 70s used to go see the Grateful Dead. Um, you know, you were groupies and all of that. So food, how many of you, you know, you want more, you know, I call it Perkins Plain or spicy. How many like Perkins Plain? Give me just not too much spice. How many like ethnic? Give me ethnic. We'll find a dive. Okay, I'm... I'm watching some of you. We'll find a dive. We'll find an Indian food dive somewhere in Kennett Square, whatever. We'll go over there. But all those things make you you. They make me me. They're our passions. They're how we're wired. They're how we respond. And here, the beautiful thing is God says, love me with the way that you are. I don't like to use the word wired or programmed because you know what? We glorious image bearers of God, we made computers. And we should stop talking about ourselves, in my opinion, like we're computers. So we're not wired, we're not programmed, we're not hardwired, we're not, you know. We are glorious creatures of the living God. But God wants us to love him back because he loved us first. 
You know, the Bible teaches that if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, and we'll see this when we get in the epistles, it always rocks my world when I see it, that he, he calls every single person joined to Jesus a saint. Do you know that? A saint is not like a special elite category generally. It's like if you're a believer in Christ, you were called to be a saint. You were set apart a holy one. But here's the reality. Some people just ooze their saintliness. And I don't mean that in a sanctimonious, self-righteous way. I just mean when they come, you just they carry with them Jesus. You agree? Like they're just people like that. And and um, I love that Eugene Peterson in his biography, uh, you know, he said that what he wanted to be in the last half of his life, he wanted to be a saint. And he wasn't just saying somebody reconciled to Jesus, but he wanted somebody to be someone who carried Jesus. And there are people that I've met that have encouraged me because they show me that that is possible. Not possible by being, you know, stuffy and sanctimonious and all this stuff, but just that it is possible to live so close to Jesus, you just carry him with you. And one fellow in our lives that all of our kids want to invite to their weddings. And everybody, you know, my siblings visited our, our church in Doylestown. They met this fellow, and they're like, wow, um, this guy, Ken, prayed for us. And uh, my son-in-law says that he does Holy Spirit push-ups in his fingers so that when he touches you, you feel the Holy Spirit. I don't know whether that's true or not. But here's what I know. Love is just a force in this guy's life. And... and Love for God, love for Jesus, love for people. And so he enters a room, and all of a sudden, there's an uplift. I mean, my wife will attest, right? And this is the story that we were talking among ourselves, and this was a story that we all heard Ken tell us in different ways, in different manners. He said uh, he was at a retreat, and it was kind of one of those silent retreats, just seek God. And then there was a speaker and the speaker approached the platform and came, and he, the first thing he said is, why do you exist? So Ken's like, okay, this is going to get really heavy fast. And then he said, the speaker said this. He says, I'll tell you why you exist. You exist because God wanted to love someone just like you. And he looked around, and he saw that there was no one on the planet just like you. And so he called your mother and father to come together in love to, in an act, share their DNA, and in that act, create you because God wanted you so that he could love you. Now, folks, that's biblical. That is, the love of God is restless until it rests upon us. We need to keep in mind, God created us in the totality of all that is holy and good, all that is the way it was meant to be from God's design he created us because he wanted someone to love that was just like us. Let that sink in. And here's, here's the beauty of it. I think when we let that sink into us, it does not make us cocky or self-absorbed or, or egotistical or arrogant. It makes us ready to love other people <laughs> because we are loving out of that overflow. And so what God is commanding us to do, love him with our all, the reason he commands us to do it is because he's done it with his all. Love him with your soul. Love him with the way that he uniquely created you. Don't try to be somebody else. But embrace how God uniquely has made you. And, and then I love Jesus again added the mind here in Mark 12. Here's a glory. We get to choose what we let into our heads. This is an emphasis that I, I love of the, the writer Dallas Willard where he talks about spiritual formation. He says, we get to choose. <laughs> What is forming us? Because here's the reality. Something is forming us. 
You know, we talk about being a disciple, just being a follower, being a learner of Jesus. Guess what? Something is always calling us to sit and learn or be influenced at their feet. That, that's, that's the key. And so there was a study done that was an experiment. And they took two groups of people. And one group of people, you may have heard about this study, they just in, introduced into their lives five minutes negative negativity about the world. Negativity about world events, negativity about the environment, negativity about everything horrible that's going on. And the other group they and they took a baseline of how each of them were doing. And after, I think it was a year, they took another baseline of their disposition and their attitude and their willingness to help other people. And they said if there was a radical, measurable decline in the group that just five minutes, took in five minutes of negative news in, one, their self-image, in their view of whether this world was a positive place, and in their inclination as to whether they would get involved to help someone else out who was hurting. Five minutes! And this test was done by the University of Georgia in 1993, before we had internet, before most of us had anything like a cell phone, before we had all of the constant streaming of the news media hammering us with all this negativity. And... God knows, again, that what we pour into our mind is going to shape the outflow. And so to love God with our mind is to fill our mind with the beauty and the glory and the grandeur of God. Philippians 4, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are true, whatever, you know, fill your mind. Dwell on these things. It will change us. A few hundred years ago, there was an unknown dishwasher. This was his full-time job you think that could be a bit drudgery-like. You know, there wasn't even a dishwasher. It wasn't like the restaurant where I worked once where you just put the dishes in and then you, you know, hauled them through and they were clean as a whistle. So he had to scrub them and all of that. And all he did full-time, washing dishes. I see some moms nodding their heads. That's what I did. Um, and he decided to take an experiment. And he decided that what he was going to do is he was going to have a running conversation with God. He was a believer throughout that time. And he says as he got into it, I don't think it happened the first day, but as he got into it, he said all of a sudden people noticed a difference in him. And he wrote down his notes about how to do it. And after he died, they published the book, and it's called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. It's, become, it's been a Christian bestseller. But what, he, what he's saying is it's not just that we have a prayer life, but that we live a life of prayer. When we do that, when we love God that way, there is this glorious uplift. Jesus said, love God with your mind. Your heart, uh, the wellspring of who you are, uh, your soul, how God uniquely made you, and your mind. And then, he, then in Deuteronomy, you'll note that it says, with all your strength, with all your might. And you know that in, this is really fascinating. Every time I read this, I'm like, wow, God is just, He's amazing in how he communicates with us. You know what the word is with all your might? It's the Hebrew word moed. I'm just telling you the Hebrew, not to be impressed with me. I, anybody can read a book and tell you what the Hebrew word is. But be impressed with God. Because <laughs> he chose this word moed, which means love, God, love me with your very. Love me with your adverb, if you're a grammatical person. Or love me, maybe the best translation is, love me with your muchness. Love me with whatever, anim whatever ability to be animated about anything in your life comes out of you. And God says, love me with that. 
That is, that is such an amazing call and an invitation for God that he, that he wants us to love him with whatever strength we have. This is why I think, you know, we have it in the athletes that and sometimes they get in trouble when they give glory to God on the field to bow and give glory to God for the touchdown or the pass or whatever. But it, it really started at, as, you know, much, much earlier than that to God be the glory, to write his, his inscription on all things. Uh, J.S. Bach used to write at the start of a uh, composition, Help Me, Jesus. And then that was his opening. And then he would write and compose. And then at the end of it, he would write, To God be the glory. And, and that's really what it's calling us to do. It's saying, with your strength, with whatever you're pursuing, say, Help me, Jesus. One of the most simple prayers is, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I think we can all relate to that prayer before our feet get out of bed. Lord, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And then at the end of the day, Lord, whatever is good, to you be the glory. And, and that's what it means to love God with your muchness. It means to love him with your substance, your energies, your pursuits, your relationships. And folks, this is where the abundant life is. When we love God in this way, we find the real narrative that we're built for None of us were made for a life that doesn't fall into the arms of something ultimate. This is the ultimate, though, that we actually, when we fall into its arms and we find ourselves ever failing, we find ourselves with a gap between being able to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, strength. Uh, there's this gap. Here's what the gap is dealt with. Jesus bore the price for that gap. Jesus bears um, in his own body the consequences of our inability to love God. Um, theologian R.C. Sproul once said, he said, love God with all my heart, strength, mind, and soul. He says, I have never done that for even five minutes. That's honesty. But that honesty doesn't destroy us or debilitate us or even depress us because we fall into the arms of the one who called us to love us imperfectly. And he says, I'll take those imperfections. And he took the hit for us. And when we see him in that beauty... When we see him in that beauty, then it simply calls us to love him all the more, picking ourselves up and finding that his, it was his grace that picked us up. There's a, there was a poem that was turned into a hymn, and I have it on my playlist, I think, by Mercy Me. And it's just one of those old, swanky things. I even have the Gaither brothers singing this one. And I'm not a big country Gaither fan, but man, they can bring some things to life. And it's these words, but the, the words that I'm going to read to you, they were found on the wall of a patient's room in an insane asylum. Um, and you know, if, if you know anything about history, we did not deal with mental illness well. Um, and these are the words that were found on the insane asylum wall, scribbled there, scratched on the stone wall. The words are, the love of God greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That may have been a windowless cell in an insane asylum, but I'll tell you, whatever man or woman wrote that, they were free. 
they knew the love of God and they were caught up in it. And that's the delight of this chapter that we're called to be part of a revolutional love that overturns everything out of accord and out of alignment with God in our lives and that spills over out of the overflow carrying the reality of God. As Eugene Peterson said, to be able to speak the name of God fully revealed to us in Jesus who showed us the love unthinkable going to the cross for us when we were disinterested or against him to say that name accurately but also to say it personally and that's what we're about to do in this supper pray with me father we thank you that your commands are not burdensome because you've given us a faith that overcomes the world because that faith is a faith that calls us to rest in the finished and wonderful work of jesus lord we pray that the reality you are might come into our lives in greater and greater full that individually we pray it for clc because you were so profound and big and wonderful we need you together and we pray that this would define our world we want the world to be filled with justice and right but we know that the best and shortest path for that is a world that learns to love you with their all and so we pray for that vision furthered on this sunday around the world and further in us, Lord, as we come to this precious table, it's your table. It's the table for those who already know you. And we pray that as we come, we might be strengthened and confirmed and mysteriously communion. Communion with you, the living, washing us. Effectively washing our sin away as we commune with you and confess to our living God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, two things necessary for community. We're going to stand with the church around the world down through the ages, the Apostles' Creed. This creed has 12 articles. That's why some call it the Apostles' Creed, one for each apostle. Uh, but they are uh, really the essence of what the apostles preached in the New Testament. So I invite you, if you'd like to stand, and aware that we are confessing this with the church down through the ages, uh, in all places. Believer in Christ, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell, the third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. If you'd like to be seated will pray together using the words of this prayer of confession. They're just meant to guide our repentance. Uh, repentance is a deep work. It starts with just recognizing where we've gone wrong, and then it's the work of God getting in there and doing a massive overhaul. Uh, but let's take these words and make them as prayerful as we read them together. Holy God, your love is amazing, steady, 
and unchanging. Your love is relentless, passionate, and astounding. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus, which has redeemed us and restored us to a right relationship with you. We confess that we take this gift for granted. We fail to grasp the significance of the sacrifice. We continue to live as unredeemed people. We love others rarely. We love you feebly. And we put our own interest first often. Forgive us for our sinfulness. Cleanse us. Restore us. Reorder our loves aright. And ignite our hearts with a passion to live for you. We humbly ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's remain in that spirit of prayerful, honest confession honest and hopeful confession before God and receive these words as the invitation to come if you believe and have given your life to Jesus and confess your sins then come in the name of the one who after giving thanks for the bread he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying this is my body which is broken for you take and eat in remembrance of me and in the same way our Lord took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood shed for the forgiveness, shed for the forgiveness of the sins of many. I invite you to come in a spirit of prayer. The, uh, you'll be dismissed row by row. Uh, we have the cups and bread for you to partake there. And then servers here will be stationed for you to dip the bread in the cup. In the name of Christ, we welcome you.
It's so good, we can't keep this to ourselves. It's impossible. And as I pronounce the benediction, I want to invite Dave and Steve Rooney to come and Tom Googe, because the purpose of a benediction is really to say, what's happened in here doesn't stay here. We're the opposite of Vegas, right? What happens in here, we take to the world. And the name of God, the presence of God, even the specific things we've experienced here, we converse and take with us, and we embody that out in the world. And um, Dave and C, you go ahead and step up here so people can see you. We want we want your beautiful faces on the camera too. They are doing what we're all doing, but they're doing it a little further away and a little more deliberate. Tell us what you're going to be doing this week, uh, Saturday. So, for those of you I don't know, I'm Dave Rooney. I'm a family doctor, and uh, my wife is a school nurse. And uh, about six or eight years ago, the pastor that we travel with, and we've done it for 12 or 13 years, um, had a vision to obtain a floating vessel to deliver medical care in underserved areas. Uh, and uh, the ship uh, has been uh, created uh, with God's uh, power and a lot of you and a lot of money and a lot of prayer and a lot of volunteerism. And we're taking the maiden voyage to deliver medical care in the Dominican Republic out of the back of the ship. It was a medical clinic on the ship. Uh, Tom is one of the captains of the ship. Um, and it's on, after six years, probably, of the preparation of this vessel, it's hard to believe it's here. So we're confident the Holy Spirit will be with us uh, as we do uh, God's work in this place in the Dominican Republic. But we know we're taking all of you with us as well. So we covet your prayers uh, for our safety, for our effectiveness and that God does a mighty work through us. Dave, we commission UNC and all who are part of this ministry in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you, like us, are called uh, to take the name of Jesus, the work of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the compassion of Jesus, evidence through your medical work, uh, to give glory and representation to, representation to him in this broken world. So thank you for answering yes to that call. And we answer yes to send you uh, as part of an extension of this body. And together, lift up your hearts. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship and communion and empowerment of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen. Excited to hear excited to hear what God does.
Thank you.